Hey, my name's Steve. I'm the campus pastor here at Genesis Church. If you have your Bibles, open them up to 1 Timothy chapter 6. That's where we're going to be spending a lot of our time today. Um, I don't know if you followed the story this week of Tommy Caldwell and Kevin Yorgson, uh, but last week these two men became the first people ever to free climb the Dawn Wall at El Capitan, which is a 3,000-foot sheer rock face in Yosemite National Park. Now, the reason this is so difficult is that free climbing has some very specific rules. This is the rock face right here that they climb, 3,000 feet, okay? And free climbing has some very specific rules. So you can't use, for instance, you can't use pitons or other climbing gear. They don't use ropes or harnesses to pull themselves up, only their hands and feet. It's the only thing they allow. They use harnesses uh, for safety so that if they fall, they don't die. And in fact, one of the men fell 11 times on their way up. Uh, They started this climb on December 27th. And they just finished it January 14th. So this is how long it took to get up this one wall. And, of course, every time you fall, you have to start over again. They would sleep uh, in these little cots that they erected on the wall. One of the men said they slept better up there than he's ever slept at home. I can't imagine uh, being up you know, 2,500 feet in the air and sleeping like that. Um, but their, their hands and feet would get so cracked that they would use super glue to, to kind of close up the cracks in their hands. Um, obviously, you're sticking your fingers in... Um, pretty shallow crevices. They're not allowed to make anything new on the wall when they do that. And and so if you think about that, they start climbing December 27th. They finished January 14th. So they spent about three weeks on this wall uh, trying to climb this one rock face. I wonder when it comes to your financial life, do you ever feel like you're climbing an insurmountable mountain? Do you ever feel like you've got something to climb? Like if, if only I can make just a little bit more money Like there's never enough. Just when you think you're getting ahead, there's an accident or an emergency or something happens, get an unexpected bill, and all of a sudden you're back at the the ground level, right? I wonder how many of you right now just, you want something that you just can't afford. Anybody in the room want something that you can't afford? A couple people? Yeah, I bet there's more than that. We we feel the pressure to pay for things, right? That we've got got all this stuff that's happening, we've got to pay for it. Maybe for you, it's a debt issue. There's, There's something going on in your life, you're overwhelmed with debt right now, and um, calling maybe for you, calling your financial challenges a mountain just kind of undersells how difficult they look for you. You know, money has a way of getting a hold of us and taking a hold of our lives in a way that not very many other things can. And that's why we're starting a brand new series this morning called The Ladder. If you wondered about these ladders on stage, they're here for a reason. We'll get to those. We, didn't, we weren't adjusting the lights and just forget to take them down, um, although that may be what it looks like. But we're starting this series called The Ladder. It's a three-week series, and it's all about uh, escaping that hold that money has on us and, and climbing to a place and to a possibility where we could never get on our own. God has places that he wants to take us that we can't go on our own. And that's what the ladder is all about. I remember when uh, about three and a half years ago we bought our house and we decided we, before we moved in we wanted to try to paint as much of the house as we could. And most of that is not intimidating. I like to paint. It doesn't bother me. Um, but there was one wall that was the second floor above our stairway. And you look up and it's about 18 feet up and there's no way to get there except to get a ladder, right, on the stairway and go that way. And you, you look up there and sometimes you're just a little, I anyway, am a little overwhelmed thinking, how on earth am I going to get all the way up there? But then when you grab a ladder and you lean it up against the wall and you make sure that it's on a firm foundation, all of a sudden it's not so intimidating, right? And you know the best way to take a ladder is what? 
one step at a time, right? We're going to go one step at a time. That's the most important thing about ladders, the most important common sense safety tip. Even if you learn nothing about God or money or anything in this, let's learn about ladders at least, okay? The most important safety tip is to take one step at a time. And so over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is focus on those steps that we can take with our finances so that we can ultimately get to the place way up there that God has for us that we couldn't possibly get on our own. Now, I know whenever we talk about money in church, some of us get a little nervous. You start to sweat a little bit. Your heart starts racing. I want you to know that I get nervous too. Okay, when we talk about money, I mean, you know, this church has a lot of momentum. People are coming. God is bringing people. People are finding their way back to God here and like, really, God, now we've got to talk about money of all the times that we're going to, or maybe you're here today and you brought a friend and you've been inviting them for uh, a long time and finally said, you know what? I'm going to come to church with you on Sunday. And you're like, oh, really? The money Sunday today? Why do we have to do this today? Know this. If you're new today, you're off the hook for what we're going to talk about, all right? And for the next three weeks, what we're talking about is really aimed at followers of Jesus. You know, we're not going to talk about, um, you know, for what it means, what this means for non-believers so much, but we're going to talk about what God has for us and for our church when it comes to money. So if you're not a Christian, you can kick back and watch everybody else sweat, all right? And you can, uh, no, seriously, you'll get an inside look at what the Bible has to say about how we manage our money and our finances, Uh, But I want to be very clear about this. So even if you've already checked out, look at me for a minute, okay? Everybody look up here. This is not about the church getting more of your money, all right? If it were, we would have waited till the end of the service to take the offering when you all felt guilty, all right? That's not what this is about. This is about, now, I know some of you have been at a church where it was all about money, and so that's going to be hard for you to believe. And if you've been there, I know, I understand, I'm sorry, I know it's hard. But this is about God's desire to have our whole heart. God wants your whole heart undivided. And honestly, for some of us, money occupies a large place in our heart. So the latter is all about God moving us from a place of financial dependence to a place of trust where we can believe what he has for us in the way of money. So like we did a couple years ago, if you were here in 2013, I think, we did a series called The Ladder, and we're going to use this ladder as kind of an object lesson for us, okay? And where I am down here, um, this is our plan for money. When we're on the ground level, this is um, a me-first attitude. It's, it's I'm going to use my plan. It's my money. God can keep his hands off of it. It's okay. He's welcome in other parts of my life, but this is my plan, my money. This is where some of us are, okay? And the ladder has steps, right? And like we said, every step represents uh, a different uh, a place on what God, on God's plan for our money, on generosity. And so what we do as we get on the ladder is we take one step at a time. And every step we take higher, we get closer and closer to God's plan for our money. And every step we take higher, we get further and further uh, from greed, from nervousness, from um, you know the idea from money having a hold on our heart. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to look at steps that we can take up this ladder. We're going to assume that our ladder has no end. Now, this one does, fortunately, because otherwise I'd go through the ceiling. And um, I didn't really think about this, but uh, Kimmy, my notes are right there. If something happens to me here, you're up, okay? And so... But as we get closer and closer to the top of the ladder, what we see is we get more and more in tune with God's plan and less and less in tune with our plan. And so here's what I hope over the next three weeks of this series. No matter where you are on this ladder, if you're already very generous or you don't give any money away at all, um, if you watch your money like a hawk 
or it kind of slips through your fingers like sand. Uh, no matter how well you manage your money and your finances, your budget, if you're a, a very uh, tight stickler and you have a budget that you keep uh, to the penny, or if you would just say, you know what, I stink at it. I hope that over the next three weeks that you'll listen to what God has to say to you when it comes to your money and finances. And I think what you'll find is that what he wants for you is to be free of the grip and the hold that money has on our hearts. And so as we look at the next three weeks of the ladder, that's where we're going to go with that, okay? We're going to take one step at a time, and we believe, because we think our ladder has no end, that everybody, no matter where you are, everybody has a next step they can take uh, when it comes to generosity. And so here's what God wants from you. He, he doesn't want your money, but he doesn't want you living your life trapped and overwhelmed by money either. He wants you to be free. And so climbing the ladder means experiencing joy and peace and freedom. So let's talk about the first step of the ladder today. We're going to talk about getting off the floor and onto the ladder because sometimes that's the hardest part of this whole thing. And that's where that comes right out of 1 Timothy chapter 6. And so if you have your Bible, you should have your Bibles turned there. And 1 Timothy 6 verse 17 says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Now, you may read that and you may think, well, I'm off the hook. That's not for me because I'm not rich, right? I'm not rich. And therein lies the problem for most of us, I think, that, that we look at that and we think, well, that's not for us. We're not rich. That rich is someone else, right? I mean, I've, I'm doing okay, but I'm not rich. Rich is that other family. You know, rich is having more than you currently have. In fact, if you'd ask most people, uh, psychologists will tell us, if you ask most people what it means to be rich, they will tell you it's someone who makes somewhere between 20 and 50% more than they currently make now. And that goes for somebody who makes $20,000 a year and someone who makes $250,000 a year. They say, no, rich is more than I make now. But here's the thing. If you drove here in a car that you own or lease, you know, you're better off than most people in the world. In fact, in many parts of the world, if you had walked here in a pair of shoes, you would have been better off than many parts of the world. If you're carrying a, a phone in your pocket or in your purse, uh, if you ate a meal before you came here or flushed a toilet, uh, you're rich by world standards. You know, if I told you I were offering you a job with a salary of $37,000 a year, would you feel rich? Uh, probably not. For about half of Americans, that would be a pay cut. But if you made $37,000 a year, you represent the 96th percentile in the world when it comes to income. 96th percentile. So you're richer than 96% of the world. You're rich. Most of us have so much money, we have to keep some in our ashtray in our car, right? Because we don't have a place to put it all. <laughs> the truth is that almost everyone in America is rich in this present world. You know, no matter where you stand right now financially, we live in the richest time of the richest nation in history. And so Paul, who wrote this letter, he's writing it to Timothy. When Paul says to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world, well, he's talking to you and me. And as followers of Jesus living in America, those are words for us. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Does anybody think wealth is uncertain? Yeah. But to put their hope in God, who so richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And so as Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, Timothy was his apprentice in ministry. Timothy was in the church in Ephesus. Uh, if you remember that uh, this past year, we did a series on the book of Ephesians. Uh, back last fall, this church was made up of many slaves and widows. They would have been the poor in this church. 
But it was also made up of some well-to-do families and and some well-to-do people. And those would have been the rich in this passage, the rich in this present world. Now, let me tell you what Paul doesn't say in this, okay? He doesn't say the rich shouldn't be rich. He he never has anything to say about rich people that implies or straight out uh, says that they shouldn't be rich. He's not saying that you should be ashamed of your financial position. But notice how he's calling out the power and the influence that money can have over us. He says, hey, there's some danger that comes with having too much money. When you've got it, you're going to tend to put your hope in it. And so, Timothy, I want you to command people who are rich not to put their hope in wealth. Isn't that true of today? I think of all the ways we tend to misplace our hope in money. I mean, how often do we hope to find security in money? You know, we look to money and hope that it will bring us security. And all the time we're asking, is it enough? I mean, if you're like me, you're, it's the January, you're starting to get uh, statements from any retirement accounts you have or any investment accounts. You're getting uh, tax documents from your kids' education uh, accounts if you have them. And you look at that and you, I can't help but think, is it going to be enough? Am I going to be able to afford to put my kids through school? Am I going to be able to retire when I want to and have a lifestyle like I want to live? Will I be able to you know, pay for the things I need to pay for? We often think that money can bring us security in that. Another way we misplace our hope in, in money is we look to money to bring us satisfaction. This is less about saving and more about spending. You know, if we have money, we can buy nicer cars and a nicer home, and we can take nicer vacations, and our hope in money is rooted in the fact if we just had a little bit more, right, that we could buy those nice things, then those things will make us happy. We'd be satisfied. Or we look to money to bring significance. If I had more money, I could buy a bigger house, and people would look up to me. I would mean something more. And then I could buy nicer clothes, and I could wear nice clothes around, and then people would compliment me on my clothes, and that would be meaningful. People would notice me. I would have value. That kind of living is bottom-of-the-ladder living. It's standing there and having our own plan and not listening to what God has to say. Now, here's the good news. If you don't take away anything else from today, please listen to this. There's a God that loves you. He cares about you. He doesn't want you to live your life trapped on the floor. He wants to lift you higher and higher to a possibility that he has for you. He doesn't want you to be consumed by a desire for money. He doesn't want you to find your identity or significance in money. He wants to break you of that hold. He doesn't want you putting your hope in money. He wants you to put your hope in him. And that's true for you too. You don't want to worry about money. You don't want your entire identity to be tied up in how much you have. If you're here, unless you were dragged here by your mom or dragged here by that neighbor that just wouldn't shut up about this place, you're here because you hope that there's something bigger to life, right? You think there's a bigger meaning, that, that, that maybe God has something more for you. You're looking for him to be your hope and your provider. But we can't just snap our fingers and make that happen. Right? So what does it look like to put our hope in God instead of money? Well, let's go back to our text, First Timothy 6, verse 18. Paul says, command them, those who are rich in this present world, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And so this verse is all about where we're going the next three weeks. It's it's toward a life of generosity. Climbing the ladder is about stepping out of our plan and stepping into God's plan, uh, stepping out of a life of anxiety and materialism and towards a life of generosity. And here's what God has to say about the benefits of that. Look at verse 19. In this way, in which way? In whose way? In God's way, right? As we uh, be generous and willing to share, we will, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This just reminds us that God has a way 
that in all areas of our life that God has a plan for that, even when it comes to the way we handle our money. You know, Jesus talked about treasure in his Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talked about money a lot as he lived. He said, don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven for where your treasure will be, there your heart will be also. Jesus says, make sure you're investing your money into eternal things. This kind of living includes things like giving and tithing, but it's so much broader than that too. It's, It's investing in people. It's investing in God's kingdom. It's investing in things that you may never get to see finished in your lifetime. In fact, I want you to think about something. Last week at this campus, Genesis Church in Carmel, we had 380 people in attendance. Now, when this campus launched two years ago, we brought 130 people with us from our Noblesville campus to start this campus. So we've gone from 130 to 380 in just over two years. That means that most of you that are here, or at least that were here last week, weren't here when we launched this campus. That, that there were 130 that were coming here, many others that stayed behind at Noblesville, and those people worked extra jobs, and they gave up vacations, and they sold cars, and they made sacrifices so that you could be here in these seats today. People that you have never met, for many of you, people that you have never met made sacrifices so that you could be here and that you could find your way back to God. Someone else, someone you never met, made a sacrifice so that your butt could be sitting in that seat right now. And now you're here because you have the chance to sacrifice so that someone else, someone you've never met, might come sometime in the future and may be able to sit in that seat and find their way back to God. And you may never see them or you may never know them, but their name will be written in the book of life because you made a sacrifice. We have the opportunity to join God in his redemptive work by being generous. That means when we give, we have the chance to help and to bring hope to others right here in central Indiana and Carmel and Noblesville and all over the world. When we give, in fact, there are three things that happen. These aren't in your notes, but just real quick. When we give, one, we're joining God in his redemptive work. We're helping people find their way back to God. The second thing that happens when we give, we learn to trust You know, our faith in him increases. That's so important. And the third thing, when we give, we acknowledge it all comes from him. You know, giving is one way that we acknowledge it all comes from God. I didn't create it. I don't deserve it. It doesn't belong to me. In fact, in the next three weeks, we're going to look at three principles of generosity. And the first one is this. It all comes from God. The first principle we need to understand is it all comes from God. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. It all comes from him. He distributes it as he sees fit. If if you're a Christian, you have to believe that everything you own is because he decided in his infinite wisdom to bless you with some of it, right? To share it with you, that he is our only provider. And as we come to understand this, as we surrender our will and our way to him, as we seek obedience, okay, and our desire increases uh, to live according to his will and his direction for us, we're going to find, as Paul says, we're going to take hold of the life that is truly life. It's a life that's secure, it's a life that's satisfying, a life that's significant. But to get there, we've got to commit to living God's way. We've got to take a step and start moving in the direction he has for us. Now remember, the ladder is a tool, all right, to get us somewhere that we can't get on our own. And the first step up the ladder for many of you, the first step is to be, is to be what we call uh, become a priority giver. Now this is for people who don't currently give anything to your local church or you give sporadically. 
Now, if that describes you, I want to challenge you today to become a priority giver. That means that you give something on a regular basis to the ministry of Genesis Church, if this is your church home, or wherever you call your church. Now, I know many of you are beyond this, okay? But, but for all of us, this was our first step on the ladder, right? And for many of us, it's the most dangerous step. It's getting on the ladder. I'm going to give you three practical ways, and these are in your notes, that you can become a priority giver. Number one is this. Priority, means, priority giving means that we give first, Okay, this is how you get started. It means changing the way that you view money so that whenever you get paid, you make it a practice to give back to God first. The Bible says it this way in Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Now, um, the best illustration I can think for this is uh, a, a couple houses ago, just so that none of my neighbors think this is about them. A couple houses ago, um, our neighbor had an apple tree that was right on uh, our property line. Uh, some of the apples often fell on our side of the property. I didn't mind that. But um, we were out talking to our neighbor around the apple tree one time, and she said, you know what? You're welcome to take some apples if you want. Um, I've already given them to everybody I want to give them to. And so you're welcome to take whatever's left over. And in fact, the next day, we found on our porch a grocery sack uh, full of apples. And, and she brought them over, and she said, uh, my daughters came, and they took some apples off the tree. I gave some to those people across the street. I gave some to the neighbors over here. And so whatever's left, you guys can just have it. And so we got this bag full of the nastiest, wormiest, rotten apples. And I'm like, I don't want your skanky apples. But that's what she had left. That was not the first fruits, okay? We got the last fruits. We got whatever was left over. The Bible calls us to honor the Lord with the first fruits of your crops. Now, in biblical times, people were typically paid the end of the week. If they weren't uh, farmers, if they were working for someone else, they'd get paid on a Friday, which is the end of the week. Now, because Saturday was the Sabbath, they would go to the temple, and the very first thing that they would do, obviously, would be to give their financial gift to God. It was the first gift they made before anything else. Most of us have the advantage now of knowing we get a paycheck every week or every two weeks or every month or twice a month. But if in that time, if you were anticipating a harvest, if you think about it, if you're a farmer or, or you have some kind of crop, if you get a harvest, there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to harvest again. You can imagine how it was a matter of real trust to give the first fruits of your crop back to God, the first round of your harvest. Well, it's always a matter of trust and faith for, for us too. Logic tells us, take care of our needs, right? We've got to pay the mortgage. We've got to pay the rent. We've got to make the car payment. We've got to buy groceries. We've got to pay direct TV first. We, we take care of our needs. And if there's anything left over, then maybe we'll choose to send a little bit of that God's way. Um, this is how my wife, Benita, and I started giving. You know, if I, on Sunday, when I went to church or Saturday night at the time, if I had money in my wallet, well, then some of that would go into the offering plate, right? If I didn't have any change, I might even put a 20, like if I was feeling extremely generous. It took us a while before we latched on to the heart and faith behind giving to God first and making that a priority. Now, for those of you who are here and you're willing to take this first step on the ladder, I want you to know that I'm not as concerned about how much you give as that I'd love to see every person who's not already on the ladder somewhere to get on the ladder, to take that first step and start giving something. The only thing that I'll say about an amount that you might be willing to give is it has to be significant enough that you notice. Like it has to be a sacrifice. This is the only way for God to start changing your heart in this area, and that's what this is really about. So what does it mean to give first? It means that it's the first check you write, if you're a check writer. 
Um, it means that if you get paid on a Friday and you know you have bills, you're old-fashioned like me and you still write checks for some of those things, you can write one to the church and set it aside, and you can bring it with you on Sunday. If you do your banking online or you're internet savvy, you can give online at genesischurch.me, and the very first thing you do is to go to genesischurch.me and give online. Uh, in fact, that's what my family does. We set up a recurring gift, and so that I get paid on the 15th and 30th, and on the 16th and 31st or the 1st, um, my giving automatically comes out of our bank account. Uh, right after our paycheck goes in the bank, the next day it's the first thing that we pay uh, every time I get paid. Students, you can do this too. If you're a high school student, a middle school student, if you babysit, if you shovel snow, if you referee games or whatever, you're getting a, a, a paycheck set aside a little bit. The first thing you get, make it a habit to give back to God first. I want you to know if you have kids and gen kids right now, your kids are learning about this. They're learning about what it means to be a priority giver, to give a little bit. And in fact, we've got a project over the next three weeks that we're working on in Gen Kids. I'm really excited to share with you a little bit more about it next week. But they're learning the same thing that you're learning. So in the car on the way home, ask them what they learned about becoming generous. Now, some of you are ready to take that first step, to become a priority giver. Here's what you need to do next. You need to pray. Pray and ask God where to start. Ask, ask him how much. Pray about how much you will start with. I'm serious about this, right? I want you to pray and seek God because that's why we didn't wait till the end to pass the offering plate because I want you to pray and ask God what is right. Becoming a priority giver means you give first. Number two, it means this. It means you give consistently. Give consistently. If we really want to grow in this area and break the hold that money has on us, we have to come up with a plan for consistent growth. Generosity is like so many other things in our life that if we're going to get good at it, we have to practice. You know, when I first learned to play golf, I wasn't very good at it. I guess I'm still not very good at it. I gave up golf because I was horrible at it. In fact, I hated it. In fact, I remember um, real quick being at the driving range one time, and it was a day kind of like this. It was a little cold, but it was in the spring, and uh, they had just opened up the range, and I got there. It was lunchtime. I was the only one there, uh, this whole big thing, uh, driving range, and I'm, I'm practicing, and I'm not hitting very well, and another guy comes up with his bucket of balls and gets at the stall right next to mine. Like this whole range, you got to pick the place right next to mine. And so all of a sudden, somebody who's not very good at golf, all of a sudden, I'm even more nervous than I would be. I put my ball in the tee, and the very first shot, I haul back, and I hit, and it hits the tip of my club, and it hits him right there. I don't mean that it grazed him, okay? I'm talking about right square in the patoot. If, if he weren't wearing pants, it would have... Well, never mind. And he turned around and looks at me, and he's like, well, I never. And I'm like, hey, you chose to get right next to me. I'm not very good at this game. And so I go back to work, and I told my friend, I said, I, said, I hate golf. I hate golf. I'm so bad at it. And he goes, well, Steve, how often do you practice? I said, well, you know, once or twice a month. And he goes, how good would you be at the violin if you practiced once or twice a month? I said, not very good. I'm not very good at golf. If you want to be good at generosity, you've got to practice. You've got to repeat it every day, every week. You've got to repeat it over and over until it's second nature. You know, if we want to be good at that, we can't just give once in a while. We've got to practice consistently giving back to God. Now, notice how verse 18 says you've got to, to be generous. It doesn't say do generous, okay? So doing things like giving isn't being generous, but it can help us to grow generous as we do these things. We eventually become these things, right? We do the right thing. We become the right thing. So it's decide now to give first, give consistently, and number three is this, give in a measurable way. This is, this is really important. Give in a way you can measure, in a way you can account for. I mean, think about it. We're talking about an area of your life you want to grow in, right? If you're going to grow in something, how do you know if you're growing? Well, you have to measure it, 
right? Just like you measure your kids to see if they're growing taller and taller. You measure your giving. And there's a saying in the business world that says, if I'm not measuring, how do I know if I'm improving? You know, we give in a measurable way, a way that can be accounted for. Again, maybe it's giving online, giving by check. If you do either of those, we'll track it for you. We'll make a statement available for you at the end of the year. Um, if you give online, you can see your statement anytime. We also have these envelopes that are available in the seat backs. If you give through one of those, uh, we will make sure that that gets on your statement. If you like to use cash, put your name and contact info on it, and we will track it for you. I mean, I love tax season because I love to see how much I gave. I get my statements, and I get to put them all together. I can go in quick, and I can see how much I give. And as, I, as that number grows, I don't get more proud of myself or my family, but I, I know that we're growing in generosity, that the Lord continues to bless us. And I'm improving in an area that's important to God because giving isn't easy for me either. But as we practice it, as we measure it, it's becoming part of who I am. Now, some people may resist giving in a way that can be tracked and measured. I mean, after all, didn't Jesus say that we should give our gifts in secret? Well, Jesus did say that giving isn't about impressing other people or trying to look good. But do you know how they gave money in the very first church in the book of Acts? They would, during the worship, they would bring their gifts and lay them at the feet of the teacher. There are still some churches that do this, right? And if it's not enough, they do it again? Don't worry, rest assured, we're not going to go there, we're not going to do that. I want to challenge, I want my challenge to be clear to you today. If you hear, if you don't give or you just give occasionally, I want to challenge you to become a priority giver here at Genesis Church. If this is your home church, take a step, the first step onto the ladder and start moving in a direction of greater generosity, of greater faith in God. Every time I preach on money, it's challenging to me. It's difficult. I want to be obedient. You know, I want to grow in the way that God wants me to grow. After all, Jesus saved my life. That's why I'm here today. I'm not here today because this is a great way to make money. I'm here because Jesus saved my life. And the only appropriate response to that is to submit to his leadership in every way. And my wife and I, we're still discussing what this series means for our finances personally because I'm convicted every time that I have to preach about it. But rest assured, over the next two weeks, I'm going to share where we are on that journey as well. But we give first... Because God gave first. He sent his first and only son for us. He didn't wait to give us his leftovers. But he sent us the best in Jesus. How can we do any less? You know what stands in the way of obedience for most people in this area? I don't believe it's greed. I don't believe that it's because people are greedy and they don't want to give. I believe most people fail to give because of fear. It's fear. Fear is what holds us back from total obedience. Well, as we close our service today, I just wanted to show you how one family, uh, a guy that you'll probably recognize, has learned to overcome this. Take a look.